This is the Relevant Podcast. It's Friday, January 1st, 2021. Let me be the first one to welcome you to a new year. It's the Relevant Podcast here in Orlando. I'm your host, Cameron Strang. And joining me from Nashville, Tennessee, our senior editor, Tyler Huckabee. Hey, everyone. And once again, on the ones and twos over there, uh, our producer extraordinaire, Clark Flippo, joins us. Hey, guys. Well, like we had on the Tuesday show, we are looking back at the year of 2020 at all that happened here on the podcast. The Tuesday episode, we brought you some of our favorite cast moments. And on today's show, we want to bring you some of our favorite guest moments. We have had the privilege of talking to some unbelievably interesting and influential people uh, throughout 2020. Uh, the lineup, when we were putting this episode together, there was there was difficult debates mm-hmm. about which which segments would make the cut. <laughs> because like, it was like a, a gluttony of riches. I just like, how do you... It uh, was actually a really strong year for... And, and they're all strong years, obviously. But I think there were a few times where even, you know, we, we try to be... Uh, we try to play it cool, and because we are cool, but every now and then we'd get it. Somebody, we'd, something would land, and it'd be like, "They want to talk to us like that," and that doesn't always happen. That was really exciting for me. Like there were some people yeah. on here who've been. I think there was a lot of what we call wish list names who've been like, "Man, yeah. wouldn't it be cool if this person talked to it?" And more than one landed in 2020, and usually we're lucky if we get you know one of those a year. It was a really, it was exciting for me, especially because I got to do a lot of these. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- that's the thing is like, I completely agree with you. Mm-hmm. It has been a year of unbelievable guests. You know, we've been making a, a magazine since 2003 and, you know, just it's almost lightning in a bottle sometimes, you know, getting the right person at the right time with the right message, the right conversation. And this podcast has had quite a few. We're going to bring you some highlights. Uh, we'll tell you some behind the scenes stuff, but before we get going, if longtime listeners know this, uh, we record this during like Christmas break time. Obviously, it's the holidays right now. And most of the years when I've been recording this best of episode, uh, my son Cohen was hanging out at the office with us. And I would pull him in on the podcast to say hi. And I have done the same here. He is on Christmas break. Please welcome to the Rome podcast, Cohen Strang. Hello there. Hey, man. So, okay, it's been a couple of years since people have heard from you. Mm-hmm. So, okay, what grade are you in now? Uh, fifth grade. Fifth grade, fifth grade, 11 years old. Uh, how are things going? How's quarantine been treating you? Um, pr- pretty fine. How You had to do homeschooling in the spring, didn't you? Yes. How was that? Torture. It was torture. <laughs> Why oh, was man. it torture? I was your teacher. I made t-shirts that said Strang Academy on them. Like we, we took it serious. I don't know where that, nice. where, I don't know where mine went though. It's in my, my t-shirt drawer. No. I saved it. Cohen, can I ask you a quick, cause I was, I was homeschooled kindergarten through my senior year of high school. So I'm, I'm, oh my I'm goodness. a pro. Wow. That explains so much. School. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Get it, get it out of your system. So I want to ask you based on my experience of homeschool, Cohen, I just have a few questions. Uh, mm-hmm. That I want to ask you that'll prove your mettle as a homeschooler. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. This is like a pop quiz, kind of. Um, why did God make America the best country in the whole world? <laughs> <laughs> is that what you were taught? Is that a Becca cur- That's, curriculum? Yeah, this, this this is kindergarten. This is just this is. E- I'm going to start. I'm starting off easy for you, Cohen. <laughs> so uh, you got to answer the question. 
Why did God make America the best country in the world? He's slowly backing away from the mic yeah, like horses yeah, and into the bushes. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Your school didn't, te- didn't teach you that? So maybe he goes to a, a good school. In a good, uh, he goes to a Christian school. Strang, Strang Academy must be, uh, must be getting infiltrated by some <laughs> of the cultural it. Marxists that are out there. So, so quarantine was tough, but you, you survived mm-hmm. by video gaming with your friends. Yes. And so every, every split second that I had between classes, I would just immediately turn around and play video games. Yeah, that was, was true. The, what was the video game of the year, Cohen? The best um, video game of 2020. Fortnite. I yeah. think that's most kids answers. Yeah, yeah that was the bulk. So. But you've moved, you moved on from Fortnite. Mm-hmm. 2K came out. He started playing that. What are you playing now? Um, Like Rocket League, that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. just kind of dipping back into the, the, the other games. That, yeah, the classics that he forgot about <laughs> while he was so obsessed with Fortnite. For sure. And dad, and dad was paying way too much money for Fortnite. <laughs> <up there. laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, buddy. Uh, this is our annual tradition. You saying hi to the podcast listeners. Yes. All right. Well, moving the show along. Uh, back in July on episode 809, July 9th, we had one of... Hollywood uh, Hollywood icon now, David Oyelowo joined us for a powerful conversation. Yeah, and this is actually super timely since Oyelowo just had a new movie come out on Christmas Day, The Midnight Sky. Uh, that's him. That, that's George Clooney. Uh, so obviously the guy is never hurting for roles. But this was a this was a fun one because David Oyelowo at the time wasn't really promoting anything. This was kind of early on in the pandemic. It was over the summer. Um, but his heart was just really heavy with what was happening with the Black Lives Matter movement at the time. We saw on social media, he was posting things. He's a strong Christian. Uh, he, at one point, he was in the ministry. And 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 we saw things that he was saying that was so powerful online. And we just reached out to say, will you come on the podcast and talk about it? And I think I said before we started recording, uh, th- this was maybe the one that stuck with me the longest this year was my conversation yeah. with David. I've spoken to him a number of times. He's, he's a friend of Relevant, friend of the pod. And, and I always enjoy conversations with him. He is an immigrant from the UK. He, uh, in fact, He's now uh, an American citizen. Uh, just this year, he and his family were uh, naturalized, and that's it. Was but what he had to say the love, the amount of heartbreak in his voice over how he right. has seen the American church respond to the protests, right. the right. sort of incredulousness. Uh, I, I think it's one thing if you've been raised here in the U S to, to understand kind of how white supremacy and the church work together here, but for, to hear him as an outsider who is black, uh, and it's obviously like, you know, has done very well. He's, he's a very successful actor, uh, but to still find him to be so overwhelmed with, uh, I'll say pain, uh, and heartbreak over how his brothers and sisters in the church have responded to what he saw as this, to this movement, was uh, it was very very moving? Uh, you know him from starring roles in Selma, Queen of Cot- Cotway, The Butler, Lincoln, a lot of others. Here's part of our conversation with David Oyelowo talking about the inaction of church leadership on the topic of racism and a lot more. in trying to speak out about Black Lives Matter is that they are often associated then with a certain uh, political ideology. Uh, what would you say to people who are, they, they care, they, they want to speak out about this, but they don't want to be associated with, uh, with certain partisan ideologies that they may not necessarily agree with? 
I would say you just have to look at Jesus. You know, Jesus did not subscribe to any political party. He was a law-abiding citizen, <clears throat> but he never uh, subscribed to the uh, to to Rome. He never subscribed to the Pharisees. He 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 never subscribed to to any. Uh, you know, he said, I only do what my father tells me to do effectively. And Dr. King was the same. He knew that the potency of his voice as connected to God would be eroded if he subscribed to any political party. And I just don't know how the church in America has fallen into the trap of being tied to a political party. I'm not saying for a for a moment that, you know, there aren't political parties that espouse Christian values more than others. But Jesus came for all men and women. And he came not just for, 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 he came for, for, for those who were broken, those who were the sinners, those, you know, he spent more time with people who were on the fringes of society than the rich or, 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 the, or the political. If we as the church are to remain relevant to all people, we cannot be seen to be tied to one political party. I think that there has been sort of a, uh, an uprising of people who do care about racism and want to talk about racism, but you still get the sense that they think that it's something sort of happening out there. They, they aren't really addressing the racism that might be happening in their church pews, their leadership, their organizations. Uh, what do you think repentance actually looks like on a practical level for us? There is nothing for us as the church, as Christians, that is going to be more effective than to go to the foot of the cross and pray for God's mercy to expunge uh, uh, some of this foundational sin that has been woven into this country. The repentance, you know, Christianity is built on what Jesus did on the cross. And the only way you have salvation is to admit that you were you, you're, you are wrong. <laughs> Christ is right. And his blood uh, 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 invites you to share in that righteousness, uh, in that rightness. And America, in my opinion, is on the wrong side of righteousness and rightness, especially when it comes to race. Now, I live here. I, I've lived here for 13 years. I'm raising children who are American. I'm an American citizen myself. Don't get me wrong. I love America, and I do think it's one of the greatest nations, not only in the world, but that has ever been in the world. But there is something wrong in and with America, and the church is tied into that. And if the church is tied in politically, it, is, it gives the devil legal ground on which to keep us in this cyclical place of pain instead of redemption. We all know as Christians personally what happens when we give our lives to Christ. Something miraculous happens. And that's why we're going up against principalities and powers in the high places. So for me, it's about nothing would be more incredible than the church coming together and having a day of repentance, making Juneteenth uh, a day where the church uh, 
uh, uh, spearheads uh, uh, where, where we as Christians go, dear God, forgive us for the foundational sin on which this country was built. Help us to be better going forward than we have been in the past. But there is so much pride so much ego, and it is born out of white supremacy that that currently feels far away, even though I think individuals would love to see that. When you bring us together corporately, politics and pride become a factor that is stopping us taking that step into repentance communally. Well, the pandemic uh, proved to be a challenging time for many, but uh, especially for artists, for music artists that Mm -hmm. really not only, I mean, in this current economy, they make their living by touring. And uh, so many artists were cooped up at home. They were trying to find ways to continue to make art, but also, uh, you know, interact with their fans and engage their fans. One of the coolest things we saw happen uh, was what Johnny Swim ended up doing this year with their weekly... Uh, Instagram thing songs with strangers Abner and Amanda would interview a fan they would learn their story this was all on IG and they would learn their story and then they would write a song together a song uh, about the person's story mm-hmm. and with the person and it was it was a crazy thing to see and then they would perform it and they put out a collection of them and they're all phenomenal and to see to be able to participate and see it live happen in front of your eyes was really cool yeah, and I thought they were. I, I always appreciate hearing from them about. They have so much going on. Uh, you know, they're they're becoming sort of media moguls in their own right, but their creative process remains really pure and really fun to hear them talk about. So I, I yeah. enjoy I enjoy them a lot and really enjoyed getting to pick their brains on this particular project. From episode eight hundred eight on June twenty sixth, how appropriate eight hundred eight was a music guest. <laughs> uh, June twenty sixth. Here's our conversation with Johnny Swift. So you kind of started this as a lark, right? You didn't think maybe there'd be, um, it wouldn't end up being that big of a deal? It was a complete shock where it ended up going. We started thinking we'd write little ditties. And the first person we talked to was Stanitsky, Maddie Stanitsky from Atlanta. Yeah. Maddie Stanitsky from Atlanta, dating a guy named Christian, who at the time lived in San Antonio, San Antonio Texas. And she just, hey, how you doing? Just quarantining this, you know, Stay-at-home orders. Are there stay-at-home orders? Yeah, you know, it's really tough. Well, why has it been tough? Boom. My fiance lives in San Antonio. We were going to move to California. I teach, uh, Maddie was telling us, I teach specialized students here in Georgia, so I didn't want to leave them until the last possible moment. I wanted to make sure I saw it through the school year, but now I'm not in the class with them. And it's a hard time to connect. My fiance was moving. And they're not fiancés yet. Her, they are now. Oh, in life. now they are for life. My boyfriend, we were going to meet in LA. It was because of the song. Now they're engaged. We were going to meet in California <laughs> and, you know, plan the rest of our lives. He is military. He had moved off base, but couldn't fly into California because they had closed down. So he's stuck in a hotel room for the indefinite, like indefinitely. 
in San Antonio, can't get to California. I can't get to him. He can't get to all me. All stuff is in boxes. You know, and all we can do is wait. And the song took life with that. I would even say it took flight. It wasn't just, sometimes you sit here, a man and I have written countless songs together. And we'll sit, and as humans, there's all kinds of inspiration that happens, stories you hear, your own life, the stories that evolve and, and are created through, through your own experience. And sometimes you sit to write, and it's like, all right, no, we got an album to make. What are, what are we going to write about? And you spend a lot of time trying to feel something. And we realized, like this, writing with Maddie that day, we just skipped to like third base in songwriting because we had all the all the emotion we wanted was there. We both were on the same page and had language to it already. And this song just kind of came tumbling out of us. What I love about this is how uh, uh, this isn't really something that you could have done without quarantine. You know, this is something you really needed a, uh, a lockdown to do. The wow factor for me of what I expected from Songs of Strangers to what we got doesn't just include the songs, all our super talented friends that donated their time to be a part of it. It includes what happened in me being a part of it. Our journeys are completely bespoke to us. You can't compare yours to someone else's because that's completely theirs. And yours is completely yours. And that thought was just so driven home even more doing Songs of Strangers because none of these songs would exist without the people we wrote them with. Could we have written a song that day? Yes. Would we have written those songs? Absolutely not. There's a 0% chance that we write Still Wonderful if it's not with Rebecca Gore. There's a 0% chance we write Wait without Maddie Stanitsky. There's a 0% chance of all those things. And it really got me so fired up with the importance of each of us. We are the singular expression of God himself on this planet. We are a singular expression of God himself on this planet. He won't, he don't do it again. He won't be like, all right, that was a cool Abner in 2020. We need to do another one. It's 3,219. Let's get another Abner in there, see if he can do it better. There's just not, there's us. We're all we have of us and how special and unique this walk is, this life is. I'm better because of the strangers I met on Instagram Live. Well, we want to let you know that today's best of 2020 episode is brought to you by UHSM. These days, finding affordable quality healthcare is more difficult than ever. So if you're looking to save up to 50% on your healthcare expenses, listen up. You don't have to wait around hoping healthcare will improve in the U.S. Instead, join millions of Christians who are choosing health share memberships like UHSM. UHSM is a nonprofit Christian health share with a sole mission of helping you achieve your best health. Protect your health with modern health sharing from UHSM, including programs with prescription benefits from CVS Caremark, no-cost telehealth visits, and access to 1 million doctors and providers. Satisfy your medical needs and save up to 50% with UHSM HealthShare. It's member-to-member health sharing. It's awesome. See why millions are choosing this Christian alternative to traditional insurance. 
You can ask if you qualify for UHSM membership today by calling or texting 833-367-8476. That's 833-367-UHSM or visit uhsm.com slash care. That's uhsm.com slash care. I have sent many friends to that website. And we very much appreciate their support of the show this year. Well, one of the effects we saw this year from the pandemic was the impact on local churches. Uh, There were those that kind of refused to (laughs) abide by quarantine recommendations and kept gathering. And then there were others that pivoted to more of a virtual experience. Well, it was a topic of conversation that a lot of church leaders were having. And we, in July, we reached out to one of our favorite thinkers and theologians, N.T. Wright. He's written over 70 books. He's been compared to C.S. Lewis. Uh, He's one of the most brilliant thinkers in the church today. And Tyler got the chance to sit down with them to talk about the proper Christian response to lockdown. He is not necessarily known for like weighing in like with hot takes on social issues. You know, he's he's a a nerd. He he likes to think about (laughs) theological stuff, but he felt like this was a very important issue. And so he did have some thoughts on it. And he's also just a, you wouldn't necessarily know him from his writing, but he's a very funny, winsome, charming person. It was a fun conversation and really enjoyed it. Here from episode 810 on July 10th is part of our conversation with N.T. Wright. So lament is uh, is one of the things that your book talks about. Can you tell me about some of the other uh, things that you think the church needs to start doing during the coronavirus pandemic? The the role of what the role of Christians should be right now. One of the things that I was really struck by when I was working on this book is a passage in T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets, the great poem written during the Second World War, when Eliot realized that all the kind of knee-jerk reactions of what we should hope for in terms of victory in the war or whatever, weren't getting to the heart of the darkness. It was just, oh, please, let's stop the nonsense and go back to life as normal. And and he says, I said, and he's quoting from a a great Christian writer from an earlier century, he says, I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without thought, for you are not yet ready for thought. That's that's hugely important, because I think one of the things I detected was, and I, I've seen this again and again, actually, is that people were wanting to find a rationalist explanation. We can see why God is doing this. And the line would go, God must be sovereign, so he's either uh, decreed this or at least allowed it. And if we understand God, we ought to be able to see why he's decreed it or allowed it. And so there's no mystery anymore. We, we just get on. Okay, here it is. Here's the answer. Um, and Eliot is saying to us, and I think the Psalms are saying to us, not so fast. Let's have some humility here. Let's have a season of waiting and lamenting and struggling. And out of that may come something which at the moment we are morally and emotionally incapable of seeing. And it, it might, I mean, I don't want to be too optimistic. Some people have been saying, oh, we will emerge from this as a kinder, wiser society. Well, don't hold your breath. We've had other crises before. We had 9-11. We had the banking crash 10 or 12 years ago. And we didn't actually emerge from either of those as a kinder, wiser society. We're just more confused and more angry about all sorts of things and more worried. And it would be wonderful to think that we might learn some lessons from this. And maybe we still will. 
but they won't come from the knee-jerk reactions. So the point about the Romans 8 passage is that when the Spirit is groaning within us, with inarticulate groanings, the next verse is crucial. Romans 8, 28, people have often quoted it in the King James Version, where it says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. That's not what the Greek that Paul wrote means. What Paul wrote means we know that God works all things together for good through those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And that through goes with that sense of living with the pain and the puzzle and allowing the Holy Spirit to lament within us. That's what it means to be caught up in the love of God, not just in a blissful being bathed in God's love, though that happens from time to time, but the love of God is the anguished love of God for his wounded and struggling world. That's what we can see in the story of Jesus weeping at the tomb of his friend. That's what we can see in the Garden of Gethsemane. This Christian faith thing is a lot more mysterious and often a lot more dark than we in the modern West have wanted to make it. And it's by inhabiting that kind of space that then God may work through his people in quite new ways. But in the nature of the case, we at the moment can't see too much of what that might be. Well, this was a great year for streaming. <laughs> a lot of great <laughs> streaming shows hit a bunch of different platforms, not just Netflix. We saw the emergence of HBO Max and Apple TV+. Plus. One of the shows that kicked off Apple TV Plus this spring was an animated series by the makers of Bob's Burgers uh, called Central Park. It starred Kristen Bell, uh, Princess Anna, and Josh Gad, Olaf, uh, as characters on the series and show creators. I mean, they were part of the show origination. And guess what? On May 29th, episode 804, Tyler got the chance to talk to Kristen Bell and Josh Gad. You know, just a couple of A-listers. It's actually my first uh, my first celeb Zoom situation. One of my very first Zoom situations because it was so early on in, in all of this. So it was my first chance to, to not just talk to, not, not just chance to talk to A-listers, but you get a little window into their world, you know? You see Kristen Bell's kids running around in the background and you see Josh Gad's, uh, so I'll say surprisingly decked out Frozen swag Zoom room. I don't know if that's his whole house or just the, the, where he chose to set up. He has a bunch of Olaf gear around. <laughs> uh, but... But I, I like the show a lot, so it was fun to talk to him about this. Here's a part of our conversation from episode 804 with Kristen Bell and Josh Gad. The thing that I'm obsessed with about Central Park is it's the great equalizer. You can be the richest person in the world or the poorest person in the world. But when you're in that park, you're on an equal playing field. And the park shouldn't exist. It should not exist. And yet here it is in the midst of steel and you, you're taken to this place where anything is possible. That to me felt like the magic that we wanted to bring to this series. 
So then Kristen Bell, who was also on the call, uh, her her friend and uh, colleague Josh's story uh, kind of spurred a little memory of her own. And as somebody who also was very enchanted by Central Park and the first time I was there, I thought that this story was also very uh, winsome as well. I mean, I went to NYU, so I went to school in the city. And I remember growing up in, in Detroit and in Michigan where like there's like as you get on the outskirts, there's like a, a ton of land and, and backyards that are just overgrown and you can run around. And th- I was missing that a little bit in the concrete jungle, yet I was incredibly thrilled to be 18 years old and studying musical theater. And there's something very, very special about this paradox that is Central Park and that it just it shouldn't exist there. But and it is an equalizer, but you're able to fulfill sort of both parts of your personality, or at least I was where I was like, ready to be a working woman and 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 live in an apartment in a on a walk up on floor four, Um, you know, and yet I sort of yearned for a little bit more Michigan and then I could go to the park and that could happen. There was, and it, to me, it is, it's a celebration of which our show is as well. The celebration of diversity, because there's two different lands right next to each other coexisting and you will not, I dare you to find a person in New York city who can't make an argument that you need them both. Something I think this show does really well is uh, appeal to a wide audience. I, I think we're used to kids entertainment. We're used to a, to uh, entertainment for grownups. And uh, and if something is for a whole family, it tends to be kind of for kids. But there's like little jokes that only the adults get. This show, I really felt like was made with families in mind, something that targets really every age group. Uh, I loved it, but I didn't feel at all strange about watching it without kids. But I could easily see kids having a blast watching Central Park. Uh, I was curious about the challenge of writing something for that broad of an audience and they were able to talk about it. I wanted to show that I could celebrate with my kids. Um, You know, something akin to Bob's Burgers, which, uh, you know, uh, my co-creator Lauren Bouchard and Nora Smith both also had a hand in creating. And and I wanted it to be a show that celebrated life, that celebrated uh, passion, that celebrated perseverance in the face of adversity, a show that celebrates... Um, you know, all those things that make us so human. And, um, and we didn't feel the need to rely on, on crass humor or to, to, you know, there's the occasional poop joke. I'm not going to lie, but but we, we, we felt, we felt like we wanted something that really could be the essence of co-viewing at a time when there are fairly limited options, you know, where you love something, but maybe your kids don't, or your kids love something, but maybe you don't. Well, we wanted, we wanted something for everyone to love. And, and I hope we accomplished that. Well, one of the good things that happened in 2020 was the reemergence of one of our favorite worship artists, Corey Asbury. He, after his mega hit, Reckless Love, exploded a couple years ago, you, like the peak, I mean, like this guy is like the hottest thing in worship music. He just decided to go away. 
And this year he released a follow-up album finally. And we got to talk to him about it and how personal it was and everything that happened over the last couple of years. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to get quite as, uh, for it to be as emotional as it really was. He he told us uh, some really powerful story about he and his dad that uh, that I, I don't think I was expecting. And if you don't know, Corey, maybe you, you're not necessarily expecting either. He's, he's an extremely deep thinker, extremely empathic as a person, uh, appreciated his vulnerability with me on this topic. Yeah, if you follow him on Instagram, you know he's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, I mean, he's just a funny dude. And so I, I think we were expecting that Corey to show up. And this is such a personal project for him. Uh, we saw a different side of him. Here's part of Tyler's conversation with Corey Asbury. Because of where many of the songs were written and the, the heart space and the head space that they came from, they felt like very sort of introspective, reevaluating, reassessing my life. And even going back to a lot of times myself as a kid, what I experienced as, as a young person, even as a young man, even as a boy. So I wanted the sound to kind of reflect that and even have like, an 80s-ish vibe because I was born in 80, excuse me, in 85. Um, So I wanted it to reflect that. So I I kept using the word nostalgic. I even wanted like horns and stuff and a lot of, uh, you know, these sounds that conjure up real uh, deep emotions. And then in, in 19, when we kind of let all that go, it felt like I got some space and could really sort of, again, like it was introspective in a way going, okay, where am I failing? Where am I um, weak? Where am I vulnerable? Where am I falling short? Um, and really just kind of be honest with myself first and then go, okay, I'm going to bring this to you, Father, like help me with this. Give me wisdom. Speak it into this area um it was really good in just creating space in my head to to think to um to just ponder life and uh kids and joy and and happiness and depression and uh, you know all these things that we deal with as humans it felt like i had some space to really process and to invite god into and speak into some stuff that i was dealing with and experiencing and it was very helpful, actually. And I believe in a river that never runs dry. Fears washed away in the waters of life. So no more playing it safe at the river's edge. I let go and I died right. I trade fear for faith and I. Again. 
there's a song about my dad that's just titled I'm Sorry that I have been trying to write for probably seven or eight years and it has just eluded me and I think part of it was where we were at with our relationship my dad and I had a very strained relationship when I was a kid uh, all the way through you know my teens and then probably early 20s even really difficult relationship we didn't we didn't connect we're still not close um we're you know we're trying to work on that now and and even communicate toward that end but i've been trying to write this song that's basically an apology to my dad for my immaturity my ignorance my stupidity my you know you fill in the blank for the way that i was especially as a teenager the way that i pushed him away and um just sort of despised his his voice into my life for a number of reasons but this song was it was tough to write i think just because it's such an emotional thing it's such a a deep feeling you know it's when it's you and your dad for real like there's some there can be some baggage there there can be some hurt uh some wounds and i think wading through that to say what i wanted to say um was definitely difficult and it took forever to write and i'm very happy with it and i'm very proud of it because even because of the healing that it's brought between my dad and i i showed it to him when it was just like a little thing on my acoustic when i finally finished it and oh it was it was incredible man and he happened to be my mom and dad happened to be in town um just just right after i finished it and i remember showing him and he wept the entire time i mean like <laughs> like you know he and it, it prompted all these yeah it was incredible it prompted these conversations um that brought so much healing just through a song you know and it wasn't a song like you know holy spirit you're amazing or like jesus you're so worthy it was the song to my dad and about our relationship and it was incredible the way the holy spirit used it even though it wasn't like a worship song you know Well, back in February, do you remember February? It was <laughs> before before the world changed. Years ago, uh, we had a, a new book came out by one of our favorite uh, faith leaders, Beth Moore. Uh, it was called Chasing Vines, and it, it was talking, and she talked to us about like how God is there for us in our best moments and our worst ones. And it, what's interesting hearing this conversation is how startling things honestly change, and how even her platform and her message even kind of evolved yeah. 
after after March. Yeah, we, we had no always like talking to Beth. She she's such a such a wise person and so much fun to talk to. But we really had no way of knowing at the time what a pivotal figure she would become in the sort of the Christian conversation in 2020. Although she at the time and she talks about this was already sort of fending off a lot of people who viewed her as getting too uh, you know socialist or whatever words they would use for her. But it was it was definitely a a different time for the world and a different time for Beth's career. Here's part of our conversation from episode 780 from February 4th with Beth Moore. Because I think that's something that people say a lot. They say, you know, the hard times made me appreciate the the good times more. They or they helped me grow better. You hear that cliche a lot, but it's so different when you realize it, when you actually go through those things and you experience that. Is that something that you feel like you've been able to to explain in this book? Because I am the age that I am and I've lived a lot of life, I'd like to turn from a different angle with it because I think it is really easy to go to those cliches. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you, some of it was so hard that I thought I, I couldn't bear it. I thought it was too much. There were just, just a couple of years ago. Uh, we had uh, a dynamic in our family that I thought I, I don't, I don't know how this is sustainable. Hmm. I don't know how we are going to bear this in the long term. And God has been so faithful, but I, I don't like to throw around words. I even feel weird about it. I, I'm, I don't like aphorisms. I don't, I don't like that kind of stuff because mm. the reality is people are living with some grueling stuff, but I'm going to tell you how I see it. And this is a very big deal in the book. Um, it, I think we keep feeling pressured to come up with the saying, it was all worth it. And I don't think that's necessary or the point. What I do absolutely promise somebody based on the authority of the word is that in his gracious and merciful hands, God can make everything matter. And that's where the fruit bearing comes in. This is what I will tell you. Not one thing given any time at all that I've gone through, including my sexual abuse, including the instability of my home, including having made some disastrous relational decisions along the way, including all of the trash, all the manure. I will tell you anything given enough time. And I, I mean, I'd say that I can't really put a date with it, but I would say even over a year's time, God has made all of it matter. I wanted to ask you, and this is just a, this is a little bit of a change of pace, but something that I really admire about your social media presence is your graciousness and your kindness to people who don't always seem like they would warrant or are not looking for a gracious, kind response. That's <laughs> no. something that we don't have a lot of, something, something that I don't have a lot of. Do you have any just like quick practical tips for people who feel like they lose their patience online easily on how to maintain a little more of a, a loving, gracious stance. Yes. We got to have a real life thing going with God where we are asking him when we are under constant duress, uh, Lord, I, I need you to help me. 
I need you to help me to be loving to people and be patient to people. So I, that stays on my radar. That's something I'm praying about. I also, I thank God to be able to say, Tyler, I am God, I'm ha- I'm a happy person, so I, I naturally like people. I don't naturally not like people. Yeah. I, I naturally like people. Then there are some that I'm caught off guard. I'm thinking like, "Ooh, I, I really don't like you." But it's not <laughs> very often. But let me tell you something, Tyler. Just as soon as you've asked me this question, it'll be no time at all till I'll have acted so ugly to where every now and then I can't help myself. I just absolutely can't help myself. And so what I would say to you then is, say you're sorry and delete it. <laughs> That's the best way. <laughs> What we've got to learn to do, we have got, since all of us now have a mic, everybody does, Mm -hmm. everybody does, and especially on Twitter, because it really is words-based, and that's what I love. I I love dialogue. I like it more than monologue. I like to get into a discussion with people. I even like a debate, as long as it's decent. Uh, I don't don't need people to agree with me. I just, you know, just, but you don't have to be a bully and tell me that you wish my plane would fly into a mountain. Um, you know, these are things that are just un, untoward, but uh, we, we have to, um, if we're going to be out there, if we're going to be in that heat, uh, we have to know what we signed up for. We better be, we better be ready for it. We're mm-hmm. going to get criticism and we're just, we're just going to have to deal with it and not get in there with them. And I think the other, the last thing I'll say about it is find people. And this is one way I found you, Tyler, you're, you're one of those for me. And I could name, I could name 30 people off the top of my head that are this to me that I so much enjoy that they just make make it so worth it. Well, I got to say one of my favorite discoveries this year, and this isn't to say that they started this year, they've been going for a while, but this movement had been building was the discovery of Maverick City Music. They they are doing something in the worship space that has never been done before to watch them watch their videos to hear their music it's kind of like this mix of bethel improv with gospel undertones with hipsters and urban and like it's just so interesting and and it's pulling from so many different streams it's doing something really fresh and organic and original in the worship space uh they're based out of atlanta uh, it started in 2016 as a small house church, and then they started doing writing camps for songwriters. And that's where this thing sparked. It became a place to make space for this unlikely fusion of worship styles because of everybody who was gathered in the room. It, it breaks the worship music mold. We put them on our debut cover for the new era of Relevant. Mm-hmm. that came out in September. And also in June, we talked to them here on the podcast. And it was so, we, part of the job is listening to lots of really good worship music. And, and I really enjoy that. But there is, it, it is rare to hear something that really just makes you sit up and say, wow. And that's what the Maverick City folks did. Um, and also just their hearts for this and, and for their understanding of their place in the current worship music moment is so humble yeah. and also so wise. Um, they, they, they have a lot of wisdom to offer and they offered it to me and to the podcast. There you go. So this was the podcast introduction to Maverick City Music from episode 805 on June 5th. Here it is. You said I'm not too far away. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. You did it heart. 
much as this like blesses people, like it blessed us first because it was a place for us to be like, wow, like I could be myself. And as like a, just because I'm a black female singer doesn't mean I have to be like sound like Mahalia Jackson or, you know, like there's, and, and what people don't realize that even in the gospel community, there is, you know, distinction made between like the way you sing. And if you sing gospel enough, or if you have enough grit or growl in your voice, and then, you know, if you have like, I have a more, which I can go there, you know, but I have like a more of a, like a pure kind of like, you know, straight tone kind of voice. And then it's like, okay, well, you sound like you belong like in the CCM world, but then it's like, am I welcome in the CCM world? You know, there's a lot of that. But when we came on with Mav, it was just, it was just us like worshiping and we could be ourselves and I could, you know, growl sometimes and, you know, like just sing sweet and pure and that was okay. Um, I think as, as just an industry, uh, the, the purpose of it is to create for an, a certain type of audience. So I think the way the industry is set up, uh, because of the way our nation is set up, we have different industries for different audiences. So you have your Dove Awards and you have your Stella Awards. You have, and then you have the Grammys. So it's like, uh, we have to have categories. Well, the industry's mindset is like, yo, we have to have categories because if we don't, people are not going to know what we want to present to them. So even like one of the first runnings we had with Billboard, uh, one of the first records, they tried to put it out as a gospel record because I was black and I was on it. And we were like, why Why is this gospel? Like, why, why do you categorize this as gospel? And it's not even anywhere along gospel lines. Um, so it's it's really having those hard conversations. I think the way we do it is having those hard conversations with people have, with the industry. Like, yo, I, I know this is probably how you've been doing it. You this is what you feel, but this is not what this is. Um, and the reason I love Maverick is because uh, the way I call it, it's so unmanicured. It's so like you don't know what to do with it. And, Try to put it in a box. It, it is, you just it is what it is, um, and it's. I think what it's doing is it's challenging those lines. Like, hey, just because a black guy is leading CCM song, is that what do we do? Is it? And it's it's almost it's like it sucks that we have to have that conversation, but it's a, just a real real thing that I feel like the Lord is using Maverick to like highlight. Like, hey, this is a thing. Like. Is, is music about color or is music about what you're saying? We believe it if you said it. If you said it, we believe it. If you said it, we believe it. Cause you're the man of your word. If you said it, we believe it. Our name is Maverick City Music. So we're already coming out on like rebels with a cause, you know, like we're, we're already saying, Hey, this is not what you expected. This is not what you're used to, but this is what we are. And, um, and I think that in itself speaks for itself. I don't think that we've like purposely like sat down and said, we're going to hatch a plan to like do things to make sure that, the, you know, it's not like a, like that. But I think that with the name 
and with the types of songs that are sung with the people who lead, you know, I think there's intention behind that. You know, we have one of like the only like brown, and when I say brown, I mean Indian, you know, worship leader. Like you don't see that. Well, today's episode is brought to you by podcast creation platform, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There are custom tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and every major platform. The cool thing is you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Tyler referenced at the beginning of the show that this year was an unusual year for A-list guests on this podcast. Uh, Having done the magazine for so long, it takes a lot of work and a lot of decision makers and gatekeepers to say yes to land Mm -hmm. an an interview with a celebrity that has a massive platform, has something to say to relevant, and has maybe this you know, deeper story that we want to tap into. Then one day I got an email to info at relevantmagazine.com. <laughs> it said, would you like to have Matthew McConaughey on your podcast? And we're like, what? <laughs> thought it was fake. Really did think it was we fake. Had a, yeah. Didn't, didn't, I thought this was a Nigerian prince situation. We really did. And so it ended up being the real deal. He had a new book coming out called green lights this year. And he went on a media blitz and Relevant was part of that blitz. You saw him, a long profile that we did on the cover of our November issue of Relevant. Uh, fascinating piece. Uh, but we had him here on the podcast to, to coincide with the launch of that issue and that cover story. He, he tells us about his faith journey. I found out that Matthew McConaughey is a church going Christian. I had no clue. And usually it's when, when you're talking to people who are this famous, it, it can be a little bit like uh, pulling teeth. There's a lot of rules that they send you things about what you can and can't ask before you get in there. And, and getting them to talk about their spiritual life is obviously a very touchy subject for a lot of very famous people. This guy was an open book. There was no, we, we went, there was, we, we went everywhere in the sun and I, I just started dreaming up questions that weren't even on my list. Just like, well, if he's willing to talk about that, maybe he'll talk about this. And he did. We went everywhere. Uh, I would. I think I told Cameron this uh, after the interview. Uh, I think it was my favorite one that I've ever done. We knew from the initial email, like the first email said, like he wants to talk to Relevant about his faith journey, and we were like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> and he did. He went there from the November sixth episode, uh, episode eight thirty seven. If you want to go back and check it out, here's part of our conversation with the one and only Matthew McConaughey. Something you bring up a lot in the book is the tension that you feel between self-reliance and uh, and God, who is divining our path and has a plan for us. Can you unpack that tension you feel a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, you know, I'm a believer. I believe in God. Um, 
I also have had seen people and have had times in my life where I think I took advantage of the, oh, well, it's all fate. It's uh, what's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's, it's all been written. And I've myself, and I've seen other people do it, but I myself have gone to where I let myself off the hook in ways and became irresponsible in ways because it was kind of too quickly to forgive. Oh, don't worry. No, it's all right. I had a time where I had a couple of very agnostic years and they weren't as much about disbelieving. They were more about, Hey, quit chalking things up to fate. Matthew, you have your hands on the wheel. You're responsible for your decisions. That's why you got free will. You make, make the choice for yourself. Your hands are on the wheel. I did find this out that when I've, when I've been in the places where, you know, I look, I, I call it the Google eye, God's eye in the sky. And I look at earth and I look at our little dot. We are on the planet and the world's turning and we're that little individual on the, per, on the planet. And you go, Oh my gosh, I'm like nothing. None, none of it. None of what I do matters. That place of humility is actually where I realized, Oh, it all matters. <laughs> There's a great empowerment that comes with that. And now I've, I've had, I've struggled with the definition of humility and vulnerability all, all, all my life. The best one I've heard was from a, from a man named Jordan Peterson. Um, humility is, is, is owning that you have more to learn. You know, I was, I, I learned this at that, a monastery and some readings of Thomas Merton uh, about, you know what, if you're trying, you're really trying. I do believe God loves a trier. <laughs> you know? He's like, Hey man, just please you're putting in the effort to try and take some self ownership for yourself, to be self-reliant, to have some, to understand the, the value and the reality of self-determination within with uh, amongst this world that I've got the, you know, that God has the strengths to. So basically seek and you shall find, right? That there's sort of a, a reward just for seeking a spiritual reward just for seeking. I believe so. I believe so. And I mean, look, whenever, you know, it's like I talk about when people try to dislocate science and God science to me has always been the practical pursuit of God. It's not going to ever prove God. That doesn't mean you quit doing science. Um, you know, there's the seeking. I don't, in my life, times that I've felt the most found, I've learned to take advantage of that clarity and really trust in it and try and evolve as a, as a, as a spiritual being in that. But I've also learned that there's no ta-da moments that are everlasting in this life where you go, I got it. You know what I mean? I've got a direct line. It's, it's clear. Those paths, you know, even when our garden is so full of the most beautiful flowers and everything that, you know, that, that springs eternal, we have to tend our weeds. We have to water that garden. It takes work. It takes breaking the sweat. It takes falling down. Um, I mean, one of the favorite pictures in my mind that I've, that I've always seen, I've never seen the picture. I've just heard it said, but it, but it has a very clear picture in my mind. And it's... Um, and the pastor had said it one day in church and it was uh, the, the, the individual in his small house imploding, you know, just going through all the hardships, the, the, the shaking the devils off his back and the monkeys. And he was just frustrated. He couldn't go and life was getting dark, 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 dark. And just outside his door, the one door to his one room that he's in stands, stands Jesus. The door though, only has one doorknob and it's on the inside. And I love that image of that. Now he's, he's there, but 
self-determination. We have to open the door. We have to grab the doorknob. It's up to us to grab the doorknob and open the door. Well, back in March, late March, uh, is when most parts of the country or more the urban parts of the country, big cities were dealing with the beginning wave of the COVID pandemic. And a lot of churches in mid-March, I remember here where I'm at in Orlando is March 15th specifically, that everything sort of shut down. All the theme parks, churches stopped meeting, it all changed on March 15th. Well, on the March 24th episode, which is just a week or two later, um, we ended up talking to Judah and Chelsea Smith, they're the pastors of Church Home. And famously, about a year or two ago, they pivoted their large local gatherings in Seattle and L.A. And um, I think they're in Guadalajara as well. They pivoted toward more of a focus on small group community in the local context and then gathering virtually uh, for the kind of the Sunday gatherings. It was criticized by a lot of people. It was seen as odd. This isn't really church. Like they, they caught a lot of flack for that. And then all of a sudden in late March, every church in America <laughs> is trying to figure out how to pivot toward virtual. So we wanted to talk to Judah and Chelsea. We wanted to give them the mic and let them say, we told you so. Uh, this was that conversation. Yeah. And they didn't take the bait. You know, I asked them they straight didn't. up. They've like, We're does, does this feel up. like an old, does this feel like an I told you so moment? And they very kindly uh, declined to do that. Because even we had talked to them when church home started and yeah. asked them some tough questions. And uh, yeah. and they responded then, and they responded now, and and they were ahead of the moment, and it ended up working out really well for them. They think that the old normal model, quote unquote normal, is gone for good, never coming back. And this this conversation uh, kind of taps into that. For March twenty fourth, episode seven ninety two, here are Judah and Chelsea Smith. There's this concept that if you look at church history, Christians are famous in regards to love and how we've expressed our love. Obviously, not perfectly, not flawlessly. There's been a lot of uh, uh, really difficult historical moments in church history where the church actually has used the name of Jesus to control, manipulate, marginalize, etc. But there's much history that records for us, I think, for our admonition. Where there is pain, where there's problems, we move towards it. We move towards it. And I think there is quarantines going on. For instance, I'm currently in Los Angeles, and the governor has spoken again, as have many of the local mayors. Hey, listen, we're asking you to stay inside unless it is absolutely categorically essential that you go somewhere, such as the hospital or food or water. And so we're we're effectively on, you know, the largest one of the largest states in the United States of America is now we are all asked to stay in our homes. Right. So it's, it's wild. It's this moment of going like, whoa, how does this work um, there? Uh, you know, we have we have ministries and outreaches within our church to people that don't have homes, people that don't have food. How do we how do we minister? How do we get those people, those resources? And I think that's something that if anyone has. The exact answer for they're not being incredibly honest and truthful i think it's something we're going to have to navigate i feel like the world's changing by the hour the world's changing by the minute um the state of things are changing i think it's important for us to honor those that we have put in decision-making roles for our cities our states and our countries uh while at the same time making every effort we can led by the love of jesus and the grace of god to add value to people so how are we going to do that what are innovative ways 
that we can do that? How can we spread love? Uh, I'll just be honest. I've had more interaction with my neighbors uh, over the last few days, just quote unquote, over the fence. How are you? Are you good? We love you. How can we, um, you know, and I don't, I, again, forgive me for what I'm about to say, but, you know, uh, asking our friends, our neighbors, literally my next door neighbor and our, our homes are very close to each other. So it's like, Hey, are you good on toilet paper? Are you good on water? Um, I was outside yesterday, my neighbor across the way, I didn't even know that they knew Jesus. And they were like, we love the broadcast today. Our church's doors are closed. Thank you for being open. And her name's Ashley. And I was like, whoa, Miss Ashley, thank you so much. I had no idea that you knew I was a pastor, that you knew I was a preacher. Thank you for watching. So, you know, I think, you know, I'm going to be really bold. I think Christians were really like, we're kind of known for like the big systemized like outreaches we do. And that's great. There's so much validity there. But I wonder if sometimes we underplay and overlook um, a wave, a hello and a hi to a neighbor from our front door. Are you okay? Love you. Thinking about you. I know this sounds radical, but what if instead of like, you know, all Christians everywhere in our country right now or around the world who are like, man, I wish I could go to church or do a ministry or do evangelism, go on a mission trip. Wait a minute. What if we found out the names of our neighbors? What if we just let them know that we're available? If they need anything, we'd love to help them and serve them. And, and while at the same time, try to uphold, uh, you know, some of the stipulations and asks of our government to not spread this disease. I still think there's so many innovative things we can do. They often read very small and seemingly insignificant, but I think they're very important, powerful. And obviously, if you start thinking in the terms of millions of us spreading love, care, and concern like this, I think we'll be shocked at the impact. Well, we want to wrap it up with one of our Mount Rushmore. Tyler mentioned at the beginning of the show, like one of those all-time asks, one of those people that we've been trying to get for years on Relevant, one of our favorite actresses, Hollywood royalty now. I think two years ago, she was the number one uh, box office earning actress in the world because she was in so many blockbusters in this Mm -hmm. one year, talking about none other than Letitia Wright. Back in November, she was in our November, December issue of Relevant. We have a long profile and think piece, but you know her from Black Panther. You know her from Ready Player One, uh, Avengers Infinity War. And this fall, she was in a groundbreaking TV series on Amazon Prime called Small Axe. And Tyler got the chance to talk to her. Yeah. And, and if you haven't seen Small Axe on Amazon Prime, it truly is one of the best things I saw this year. I would really encourage you to go check that out. I, I loved this uh, anthology, film anthology series. And she's another one, kind of like Matthew McConaughey. Uh, you, you couldn't get her to, you, you couldn't keep her from talking about her face. She wanted to talk about being a Christian. And she, well, what was so interesting, she, she shared her story about how she became one with us, which was not that long ago. Right. That was the thing that was not shocking to me, but just like you just don't hear this story very often. You you think of a if if somebody's in Hollywood or they're a true A-list celebrity and they say yes I'm a Christian and they're maybe a little bit outspoken about it they grew up in the church you know mm. they it's in them maybe they walked away for a little bit they come back I'm not talking about Bieber but you can read between the lines but <laughs> you know like if they grew up in the church Letitia's story is completely different she talks about about to us you're about to hear she talks about the fact that she just came to faith five years ago and she's a baby Christian. And you know, what's cool about her 
is that she is more outspoken and bold about her faith than people who are many people that I know that are lifelong yeah. Christians. Yeah. There's a passion and a newness to her faith that comes through in this conversation. Yeah. Was, she, and she was, she talked about being very adversarial to the idea of Christianity when she was younger and was not a fan of the idea. And this was kind of like a last ditch effort when she was not doing well. Um, that, that's not an easy thing for anybody to talk about, let alone somebody who is, a, you know, an Avenger. And the fact that she was willing to be vulnerable and honest about that was uh, really meant a lot to me. And I appreciated her going there. Episode 841 from November 20th. Here's part of our conversation with Letitia Wright. Can I ask this? What does prayer look like for you? Oh man, so I'm like five years in the Lord. I'm like a five-year-old in the Lord. Um, I'm like five years, coming up to five years and completing five years of being a Christian and like, oh, giving my life to Christ. It's been so many different things and, and it's like a relationship I'm building with the Lord to understand what prayer is. At first I thought, you know, I'll pray as I feel. And then at first, and then secondly, it was just like, I have to pray like, at a certain time and at a certain hour, but I'm learning that it's a combination of the two. Discipline has to be there because in order to maintain that relationship um, and connection, you have to have some sort of discipline. And it's not about how you feel most of the time. It's just about your faith. So I cannot feel like praying, but I know I have to pray in some sort of way. It could be just so, so, so then it becomes the way in which I pray when it's time to pray can be creative, if that makes sense. So when it's at night, I might not, I might not feel the urge to pray in a particular way that I'm accustomed to. I might just write a poem to the Lord or sing a worship song to him and, and, or just, just speak to him in, in, in the silent moments. Yeah. And just learning about the discipline of prayer too. Um, and how important that is because you don't want it to be like a chore or a task, but you want it to be a connection. Tell me the story there. You became a Christian five years ago. What what happened? Why did you decide to become one? Um, the motivating factor mainly for me was that I knew that I wasn't living a life fulfilled. I knew it when I was a teenager. I knew it when I was started coming into my early 20s. I just knew that something was missing. I just didn't know that missing puzzle was Jesus. I didn't want anything to do with Jesus, actually. Yeah, didn't want anything to do with it. I just thought the typical kind of prejudice things that you would think about Jesus. Especially as a young black person, too, you think, oh, man, it's a white guy. I don't want to worship that. And I didn't see him for his purity and his love and didn't see him beyond color. I just saw him in a prejudiced way. I just saw him in a way that it was just negative thinking from my end. And, um, and yeah, and just the dark place that I was in. And I just kind of saw my other friends take a leap of faith with Christ. And I just kind of, just this sense of peace that they had when I saw them is a peace that you can't buy. And I just knew it off the bat. That's, that's what, my life was meant to look like that's what my spirit is meant to look like I just knew it my friend was very beautiful and contacted me in my lowest place and I just tried I said I'll try Jesus for a year 
see what happens. And I'm, and I'm still here and I'm not going back. So we told you we had the hardest time selecting those 10. Because yeah. when you look back at the, I don't know, 80 episodes we put out this year, you've got Neil deGrasse Tyson. Bob Goff uh, was was uh, was somebody. Bryce Dallas Howard was on the, the Hillsong. Christine Kane. Yeah, the Hillsong crew. Need to be, we love all these Eugene people. Eugene Cho. Lecrae, I mean Here. Stephen Furtick, Stephen Furtick, <laughs> I mean Torrin Wells, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brooke Ligerwood, one of our favorite uh-huh. artists. I mean, uh-huh. like uh, amazing filmmakers. It's just crazy. Yeah, don't, don't take it personally. We love, we love all these people. We just had to, we had to make some tough cuts here at the end. I mean, some tough cuts. Mm-hmm. I'm Brian Stevenson. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, the just mercy. The 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 world. Yeah, yeah. Come, come on, it's crazy. Uh, if this year is any indication of what's going on with this show, sign me up. I am excited about where we are. And I just want to say, as a personal note, this is the last episode that we're recording in 2020. You're hearing this on on January 1st to kick off a new year. But this is the last episode we're recording. I just want to thank all of you. Um, Clark, you behind the scenes, man, making this thing happen. Uh, Tyler, you and Brianna uh, pulling together this amazing content, these amazing guests. Uh, to the cast that we get to do this with every week. It's just such a blast and such an honor. And to you listeners who have stuck with us, obviously I started the year on sabbatical and came back in the spring. We had some hard and vulnerable conversations about my story, my journey, where I'm at, where relevance going. You guys stuck with this. Um, Tyler, you held this thing down while I was gone, man. And it thrived. Yeah. The show grew. It's just, it's been a wild year for, and for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. but uh, this show is something that's meant a lot to me, and I. It's just amazing to see all that's happened. Well, we 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 love the the community out there, the listeners. I really do. We we don't always talk about, it, but we appreciate all the comments you guys have and the interactions that we have. Are, are it's it's such a fun part of the job, uh, and uh, and I appreciate. Obviously, we appreciate Derek and Jamie and Jesse and Clark and and Cameron. Obviously, I appreciate you keeping the keeping the ship on the rails. Ship on the rails? Maybe that's where we're going wrong. Ship should be in the ocean. Maybe that's Trains why things have been so hard. I've been trying to I'm sliding the ship down those rails. It's really hard to push that uh, thing, uh, man. But yeah, happy new year, everybody. How, how yeah, bad could it possibly be compared? <laughs> hey, hey, it's January 1st. Everything's different uh-huh. now. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> By the time, I, oh, I can't wait. I'm jealous of the listeners hearing this now. What yeah. world they must be living in. <laughs> They're living in 2021. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and guys, thank you again for everything this year. And we're looking forward to 2021. Uh, tune in on Tuesday. The cast will be back and we will be with you every Tuesday and Friday. Don't miss an episode. It'll be a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, everybody. With that, I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Clark Flippo. And Cohen is off playing Fortnite. So <laughs> we'll see you next Tuesday. for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on The Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com. 
Relevant Podcast Network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.